Support comes from the San Juan Islands. Spring in the San Juans can provide time to slow down and savor the scenery of quiet beaches, hiking, biking, and whale watching on Lopez, Orcas, and San Juan Island and Friday Harbor. Learn more at visitsanjuans.com. Set your mind to island time. Welcome to Friday. Welcome to a post-election edition of Week in Review. I'm your host, Bill Radke. Listening to the voters with the help of KUOW politics reporter David Hyde. Hi, David. Hey, Bill. Political analyst, contributing columnist Joni Balter. Hi, Joni. Hi there. Good and to be with you in good, the studio. And good to have you here. I'm going literally in clockwise now in the room. Seattle Channel host and producer Brian Callanan, thanks for being in the room. Great to be here, Bill. The room where it happens. Yes. And you, you can still stream, listeners, you can still watch this show because we've got our laptops up. And you could watch us. Maybe you've become accustomed to seeing this on YouTube and Facebook. You still can. So happy, happy Armistice Day to mm. you all. Former name of Veterans Day. Did this election represent an armistice in America? Mm. Who knows? We all know that there was no red wave. We can say that. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. What would you call it? A, a red, bu- red bust? How about red that? Bust, a red, red blue trickle. wash. <laughs> red, red ripple. I a saw ru- the New York Times. Yeah. Ruby ripple. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Red ripple. There's a bit of a blue wall there, too, I think you could argue a in a few ways. blue seawall yeah. against the ripple. The I, rosy rivulet. It's a mountain. Uh, ranch. That's that's pick right your metaphor. Yep. No, but that's right where it hits in the mountains, Snoqualmie Pass, or yeah, top of the Cascades, something well, like that. Well, let's dissect this pink puddle. <laughs> okay. This <laughs> all right, red and blue, scarlet splash, if you will. Okay, so so the blush bubble this week, the Dahlia dribble. Um, <laughs> Keep I, it coming. Mm-hmm. Let's just do that. Yeah. How you tell me what you give you give me one sentence. About what 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 your 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 pros? Um, I'll I'll start where I started. David, give me one sentence of what this election result was about. I labored over this one, so yeah. this is my sentence. MAGA now stands for many Americans got annoyed about abortion rulings and and election conspiracies. Very good. Many Americans got annoyed. Oh boy, I like that, Joni. I like that. Mine sentence. is everything the experts know is wrong. Mm, mm. It often is. Yes, uh, Brian. I think it's Democrats got organized. I saw it on the national front. I saw it on the local front here, too, in our state, and certainly with some of the local races here. Even the city and county races, I think you saw some impacts from that, and that had impacts up and down the ballot. Democrats got organized. My sentence, because the candidates who claimed that the voting was rigged lost in Washington, my sentence is election deniers are denied election thanks to their election denial. Uh, mm. that? Not a river in Egypt. Yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. right, right, right. Isn't it, wasn't it the Red Sea turning into the Red Trickle? There's some connection here between okay. the Red Sea or and the Red Parting the Red Sea. Or parting the, the Red, red, red Sea being the divided. Red Uh-oh, divided. <laughs> okay, Don't so do it. before we jump in, um, do we – not all the votes are counted. So are we about to imp- uh, embarrass ourselves? Yes. How, Okay. Let's yes. try to. There's what, at least one race. What caveats do we need? Well, one of them is, because th- this show airs on Saturday, I think, yeah. is that there will be perhaps, perhaps, and I doubt it, a decision in this very, very close um, third congressional district. Or mm-hmm. maybe not, because maybe it's we can talk about this in a little bit. Uh, going, this is going sa- to south, southwest Washington, north of uh, the Portland area. Mm-hmm. And, and, and right, and there's another uh, city ballot measure that could change today after we speak. Mm-hmm. So we have to yeah, be qualified in that yeah. way. Yeah. I, I'd noticed, though, in that third uh, congressional district race, when we're talking about Joe Kent, Marie Glusenkamp-Perez, uh, it looks like the votes that are left to count favor Glusenkamp-Perez. So we'll see where that goes. But that does look favorable for her. Certainly, it's going to be a close one. But that's definitely something that a lot of people in our area and certainly southwest Washington are paying attention to over the next couple of days here. Yeah. yeah. The New York Times needle seems to keep getting that one a little bit wrong. It seems like they're a long way away from Washington State. But he gained like 126 votes in Clark County, where most of the votes are, I think, on yesterday's drop. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So even though he he, he gained a lot of votes, that's where he's got to pick up more votes than he has been picking up so far, I think, if he's going to win. Right. Yeah. Just to bring the listeners along, (laughs) maybe everybody knows, but we should uh, come out and state that this is so, this non-Puget Sound uh, congressional election is fascinating 
be, and nationally important with the with the razor thin margins, Republicans trying to take the House, and we have uh, the ousting of an incumbent, uh, and Trump looms over it. Who wants to explain? Well, I'll be happy to start. So the reason everybody's fixated on the third district, it would be if uh, Marie Glusenkab Perez wins, it would be the upset of the country, and there are probably a few others nationally that that we're not going to address here. Uh, and the reason everybody's watching it is because it really we're down to really small numbers of House uh, House Republican advantage or House Democratic advantage. I mean, yeah. a likely Republican, but just by very small. And this race has been teetering back and forth, and you know it's long been a, like a Republican plus uh, four or five points. But Joe Kent, the Republican in this case, is an election denier. So yeah. that's that's one point we really have to talk about. Mm-hmm. And also uh, will probably challenge uh, any any election if if it doesn't go his way. Yeah, and 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 this is a story that we're seeing nationally, which is that these Trump-backed candidates didn't do well. Doctor Oz didn't do well, and Joe Kent, even if he ends up winning, underperformed that. Uh, you know, certainly Jamie Herrera Butler's performance in previous elections, even if he kind of squeezes it out here at the last minute, and you know. It, it, this is this is a district and a year where Republicans are just looking at this saying, how could we possibly lose? And they're going, it's it's mega. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's our problem here. They have to be asking themselves if a guy who I, I am comparing him to the James Joyce of conspiracy theorists, mm. he just, <laughs> you know, it just streams Stream of, consciousness of consciousness sort of out of him. Wow. One conspiracy theory after another kind of all jumbled together. And at some point. That stuff maybe is is too much for independent and moderate voters in in places like the third. James Joyce rolling over in his grave at that, but I I, I know what you're getting <laughs> into there. Gave a lot of reasons I, to roll. Well, no, I, agreed. And I guess I just look at this one in terms of how an opposing party to the president's party performs in a midterm. This is the worst performance by that opposing party that we have seen in decades. And I think that's very telling. And it has a lot to do with MAGA. And people, I I think, are tired of it in a lot of ways. And uh, I, I think that's where we're headed with this election in terms of the aftermath of it. Can I just add, Joe Kent said his uh, objectives if he is elected, impeachment, oversight, and obstruction. And I would like to know in what universe does that solve the problems of the people struggling, uh, you know, with inflation and many, many other things yeah. in the third district. So that yeah. we're talking so much about Joe Kent, understandably, but is is Glusenkamp Perez a great campaigner, a terrible campaigner, a yeah? I, I mean, I think that she's ran a really unconventional campaign. Um, her one of her most recent ads shows her with a chainsaw cutting down a tree. She works in an auto. She owns and works in an auto repair shop. And she's in, an axe throwing champion. Axe throwing champion talks about you know, um, uh, you know, g- fixing things in her auto repair shop yeah. and then going to D.C. to fix things. Uh, she doesn't support an assault weapons ban. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Seattle. <laughs> like, that's right. a pretty disturbing, but contrary position to take. And so she was serious about trying to win in a Republican district, you know, and and if she pulls it off, definitely running that kind of campaign, I don't think you could discount it. Total newcomer to politics. Yeah. 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 And I mean, she ran once for uh, a local council. Okay, right. But has not served. And I just in trying to jump it over to another district in the eighth district. Yeah. Schreier and Larkin. That's news since since Thursday night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's been declared in in support of Schreier. And I just picking up on your point there, David, I think there was that attempt uh, by Kim Schreier to cross the aisle in a lot of ways, saying, hey, this is how many bills that I put forward that were approved by Donald Trump, that were signed by Donald Trump. There's the amount of bills they put forward that were signed by President Biden. So I think she was trying a more balanced approach that resonated with a lot more people because, again, Matt Larkin had a lot of different issues, was definitely a flamethrower when it came to some of his rhetoric there. So I'm seeing a lot of similarities between those two races for sure. Well, can I just go back to how unconventional um, Maria Marie Glusenkamp Perez is. Yeah. She kind of reminded me, and, and I am a little fixated on this race back in Pennsylvania, of John Fetterman. Mm. And just yeah. being, you are one of us. I am one of you, was played out by her in all the ways that you all have just been describing. She was so, uh, you know, rural Democrat. Those are unusual, hard to come by, but they will attract, uh, you know, Republican voters who don't want to hear about MAGA anymore. Yeah, she, although it's pretty uh, clear she did. For Fetterman, the the Republicans ended up running these attacks at the end. 
uh, pointing out that like he'd gone to Harvard. Uh, so lived, some of his lived off his parents, lived off his for a parents while received while a, received an allowance. Yeah. They described it until he was fifty years old. So they they managed to through attack ads, I think, take him down a few notches on that. We didn't see those same kinds of attacks in uh, in the third congressional district, but. Um, I don't know that it's a blueprint necessarily for success. These folks, if they're going to do it, they've got to be authentic they have yeah. to be uh, candidates. Right. Well, and the attack ads, I think about the Smiley and Patty, uh, the uh, Smiley and Murray race for, for Senate there. And, and those attack ads were absolutely uh, just vitriol from both sides. I, I think we have to agree there. And what turned into the most expensive uh, Senate race in our state's history, too. 20 million bucks uh, on both sides there, from each side there, then the packs on top of that. So. Um, I don't know. I, I, I hope that this is a time in the aftermath of this election to take a deep breath and try to look at these different attack ads and say, pump the brakes here. I, I, I don't think it works. Well, I, I, excuse me. I want to organize things a little bit for yeah, the please. listeners I because I we've, we've, yeah. discussed, <laughs> that makes sense. we've discussed the, the third district, which is still too close to call. Right. Um, the we did bring up the eighth district where Kim Schreier has won reelection. Mm-hmm. So she'll serve her at least her third term in office. What about and by the way, the flamethrower, I think you said Larkin has uh, conceded, yeah. conceded the race graciously. Right. It hasn't been a big kerfuffle. But what what does this mean for the people? I guess in our earshot would be East King County, the people of the 8th District. What what is how is their life going to be different because Kim Schreier is in office versus Matt Larkin? Do we know? Well, I would say their their life is going to be the same because she's still there and she has the values that she brings to that district and as you said you know kim schreier has spent her time and especially in this campaign trying to say i hear you i know who you are like she spent time with agricultural folks in eastern washington she made a big deal on her website of of having a picture of herself with the sheriffs so that she didn't want to get tagged by that you know any democrat is responsible for all the crime that's running around mm-hmm. so i think and also clearly uh, she's a, a doctor yeah. she was very clear about the abortion issue which you know Washington is a very blue state, and in many places where it's not blue, it's uh, it's libertarian. Mm. People here really, you can say this from so many votes, you could say it from a zillion of them, do not like having government telling people, and in this case women, what to do with their bodies. Give yeah. me a break. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think abortion was the big issue in that and the Tiffany Smiley, Patty Murray race for sure. You know, and it probably wasn't the third too, but but a big issue in that race. And I was out talking to voters in Leavenworth and North Bend and some of these places where they don't sound like Seattle. You know, right. you meet a lot of people who kind of cut across the the normal ideological boundaries. And I remember this older couple, full on MAGA Trump Republicans, and then when it came to the abortion issue, the woman said, That's a woman's right. That's a woman's right. And the man was like, mm-hmm, that's right. That's a woman's right. So wow. I, I, that, that libertarian streak is definitely out there. And I think it's got to have helped Trier. Also, the fact that um, younger voters really turned out on they that did. issue. They did. And I guess my hope, Bill, in terms of what happens next here with that race and many others is that we can take that deep breath and get past those different attack ads and do start focusing on these different issues like reproductive rights, et cetera, that I think a lot of the candidates at the end of the day are very concerned about. But in many ways, I know this happened in the Murray-Smiley race. It would just it felt like a back-and-forth type of response. If that ad comes out, well, I guess I better come up with this one. And it just became a back-and-forth that uh, untenable from my perspective and just very difficult to listen to as a voter. And I think, I think a, a candidate like Schreier versus Larkin what do, what do voters get out of it? I think that they want out of it is kind of Glusenkamp Perez's thing. I'm going to go to D.C. to fix things. They want functioning government. Yeah. And I think for Larkin, the problem was he tried to run away from the MAGA stuff as best as he possibly could. But those ads kept tying him to it. And I think that probably also really hurt him. What's he going to do when it comes to a federal abortion ban, for one thing? But, but I think there was also skepticism. What's he going to do when they just, you know— it, it start running all these congressional hearings and all kinds of stuff that doesn't have to do with actually functional government. So I think what people are hoping they get is, is government that functions now, whether or not they actually get that hmm. is, is a different thing. Let me ask you about the U.S. Senate race, since we've brought that up a couple of times. Um, it wasn't that close. No. Do the media exaggerate some campaign's closeness Consciously or unconsciously to get ratings. Were, were, were our listeners misled on what a tight race that Senate race was going to be? So the media fell for the pollsters' narrative. 
and the pollsters were off, and I wish they'd all come clean and say, you know, I made a terrible mistake. Yeah. They were so far off on the Murray race. You know, so they so the Republicans come in here and spend something like $15 million to take Patty Murray from uh, 17 points ahead in the primary to 13 or 12, whatever it is right now. I mean, that is a bad investment. So so the media fell for the what the pollsters were saying. And you know who the pollsters were missing? So they do – this is how they do it. They do a formula for how many younger voters uh, should be included and sort of completely underestimated – the anger among women of all ages, but especially younger voters. So they put in a number, I'm just guessing, but I, this is probably true, that they put in too low a number when they did their calculations for how many younger women and younger voters were going to go out and say no to this bit on abortion. I guess I'd say on the, on the flip side of that, I hear what you're saying. The pollsters were absolutely wrong on this. But in looking at the dollars that went into this race, we talk about these multi-million dollar campaigns here and all the all the different attack ads that were being put out there. We saw Tiffany Smiley outgain, outgain Patty Murray towards the end of this race. And so I think if you're looking at the money in this race, which is not always the determinant of how these races are decided, but the money is based on the polling, though. True, true. And I, I, that, that's a fair point. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, as those dollars do come in and you see more of these ads, it kind of gets its own momentum there, Joni. I, it almost feels like one of those situations like, whoa, 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 what are we starting here? Are, are these dollars actually going to determine the election? Dollars have done that before. Did they in this case? I don't think so. Well, the, I mean, and the campaigns got it wrong, too, right? Because mm. all those fundraising appeals that you saw from Schreier, but also Murray saying it's 50-50. I mean, I don't know that they believe those polls, but, <laughs> but oh, they definitely – You got to use it. That's a good point. They used yeah. them, but I definitely think yeah. they believed – uh, they believe the ones that caused them to spend spend twenty million dollars or whatever it was, you know, plus on on her campaign, running all of those attack ads. And the only thing that I would other uh, I, I, just to echo what Joni said, um, under thirty voters, it was the second highest turnout in the past thirty years. I looked this up. Um, 63% going for Democrats nationally and 35% for Republicans for, for folks under 30. So just yeah. a huge and abortion was a huge issue. But all of that said, um, you know, I, I was with the Democrats on election night in Bellevue and there was this celebration. There's no red wave. But I think we should also kind of say there was no blue wave either. No. That's right. Right. And these polls yeah, right. weren't as wrong as some people want to make them out to be in the right. sense that voters are concerned about the economy. They don't like Joe Biden that much. Right. Uh, they are concerned about inflation. And one of the reasons Patty Murray spent $20 million plus, you know, independent expenditures, she knew that, right? No. Um, so, you know, and if you look at um, even public safety, which which didn't turn out to be as big of an issue, mm. uh, certainly in these, in these federal races, I think it's mostly because people liked MAGA a lot worse than all of these things that they didn't like. But if you go down to Portland and look at their city council race, yes. they just um, elected a kind of law and order yeah. slate of candidates in a state where they also elected a very liberal Democratic governor because they didn't like the MAGA person, I think, who was running. So, you know, there's some there's some mixed messages at a minimum out there. Agreed. One thing I want to speak to the content um, of some of the ads in the in the Senate race. You know, Washington voters are very smart and I, they don't like being talked down to, I don't think. And while I thought Tiffany Smiley is a really, really good candidate, I think it was sort of unbelievable to smart voters that somehow Patty Murray um, was responsible for closing the Starbucks on Capitol Hill or Patty Murray by herself went out and raised uh, gas prices. I mean, I just think voters are like, huh? Yeah. Like, really, you think I think that or you think that's even possible? Don't Mm. talk to me like that. I'm smarter than that. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't believe anybody was going to fix gas prices. I think that, you know, I mean, I talked to people at least who told me that they didn't think uh, anyone was going to fix inflation particularly soon. Getting real about it. And just looking at the younger voters piece, David, that really played out in Seattle, too. And I don't know if we can jump onto some of those more localized races here, Bill, but I really saw that play out in terms of the candidates that came through here and Specifically, I'm looking at King County Prosecutor, which was basically just decided in the last 24 hours here. And you've got Lisa Mannion going through, who was the chief of staff for Dan Satterberg, who's stepping down, but or not going for election again. And in looking at that, I really thought that based on the last election for city council, the last election for 
uh, mayor, the last election for the city attorney's office especially, um, I really thought that we would see uh, Jim Farrell proceed there as more that law and order type of candidate there. He did not. And I really do think it's that young voter out there that was pushing the envelope on this because young voters showed up in Seattle as well. And that's a big, big piece of this race. I agree. Although the one thing I would say about that race is that um, if you were to compare it to Ann Davison's race in Seattle, yeah. it's pretty different. Lisa Mannion is not Nicole Thomas Kennedy. That's a truth. Yeah, they're, they're really different candidates, and so I, I, I never read. I, I mean, I think, just again to help the listener out, that. I, just wanted, about I don't that. know how many people know all these are, are the names. Uh, yeah. So in Seattle, you're saying I had the same. I made the same mistake. This was the biggest surprise to me this week was the King County prosecutor election, huh. and um, so uh, and I also. Just like you, Brian, thought of Seattle's prosecuting attorney and Davison, I guess a former Republican, but more of the sort of t- tough she's on a crime Republican. image. Yeah. A Republican, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so, and I expected, you know, I, I'm always hearing from the that King County suburbanites they're terrified of Seattle because Seattle's a hellhole, and then King County <laughs> went they, for someone who's considered to be uh, less of a of a hardliner on criminals. And David, you're saying. Well, don't that that Ann Davison being elected in Seattle is not necessarily it's not apples to apples. And Nicole uh, Thomas Kennedy was a straight up abolition candidate. Right. Yeah, that's right. 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 Yeah. And also Lisa Mannion is she's an establishment reformer, essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. She she wants to see, um, you know, alternatives to incarceration. She's she's just and I, I, I think what it says is people in King County, they don't like the level of mass incarceration that we have in our society. And they want to fix that, too. But maybe they don't want to go as far as Nicole Thomas Kennedy. Yeah. So, to, um, oh, you know, sorry. so so I, I think it's all part of the same. It's the same electorate. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, have they really changed? Well, two points on that. First of all, Jim Farrell. You know, I kept hearing his name and I knew a little bit about what he wanted to do, but he got out kind of late explaining what it was his intentions were. Uh, you didn't really hear his name even for a while. And then, and then it was clear. But also, and, and Lisa Mannion is exactly what you say, but the way a lot of people sort of thought about this was, look, she's trained by and works with Dan Satterberg. He's mm-hmm. so moderate. You know, she's not going to be... Nicole Thomas Kennedy. She's just not. She's going to be more like Dan, even though she's probably to the left of Dan a little bit. Yeah. And I I really think she was trying to put put forth a message of balance. We are going to make sure that we prosecute uh, hardline criminals out there. We are also going to make sure that we work with these different uh, type of progressive reforms or this restorative justice piece that she was talking about quite a bit. So I think people saw that. I think uh, people are concerned, certainly, about where the prosecutor's office is in King County and a backlog of cases there. That definitely came out in this election, too. But I think at the end of it, uh, when you look at who supported her, and that was basically a, a roll call of all the top people in King County in terms of leadership there. You look at Jim Farrell, he definitely had support in the in the outer areas of King County there, but he also had support from a number of the different police guilds, like the Seattle Police Guild, those different police unions out there. So there, I think there was at least a little bit of a difference in terms of their supporters, and that was something that voters probably looked at too. I, I wonder if it is a little bit us or storytellers or, or whatever, because Ann Davison gets elected, and it's just so like, oh my God, you know, Seattle has hasn't elected a, a Republican since the 1980s. You know, yeah. things are really changing. And, you know, you do get kind of seduced by those narratives, maybe. And it's like, what are the chances that voters out there have really changed that much? Mm. You yeah. know, well, it, I think they like the nuance, you know, of it's, you know, like it's similar reminds me of what Bruce Harrell said. You know, I want more police. Oh, my gosh, he wants more police. But then he counters with, I want the right kind of police. I'm not saying it's one way or the other. I'm saying it's complicated which it is. It's very complicated. It's so difficult to sell that nuance in an I election, know. but you're totally I, right. I think that's I know, a big but I think big our voters are, you know, Selling nuance on KUOW. Yeah, right. <laughs> Plus a t-shirt. Yeah, Nuance right. and a tote bag are, are up on offer on I Week in it. Review. Let's take a little break, and uh, we've, we've, got, we've got lots more uh, election results to discuss um, after a short break on Week in Review. We're going to come right back. You're listening to KUOW's Week in Review. Maybe you're watching it on YouTube or Facebook. 
got the laptops on. Uh, I am in the studio with political analyst Joni Balter, Seattle Channel's Brian Callanan, KUOW politics reporter David Hyde. We're figuring out what the voters said this week. And in a few minutes, I do want to ask you all uh, some questions of ethics. And and I want to ask for some breathless speculation. Uh, we'll get to that, and that's going to be fun. First, I want to. We haven't gotten to some of the really interesting election results this week. Um, for one thing, we do have. I believe this is just last night here, talking live on Friday, that we had a, a concession in the Secretary of State election, and I don't know how big a deal that is. We've had a Republican. Secretary of State for a long time, and now we are having a uh, the, the incumbent is a Democrat, Steve Hobbs, and the independent Julie Anderson conceded that election. Does it matter? Would would one Secretary of State have done the job any differently from another? I, can I just jump in for a second here for the backstory on this? I thought it was very interesting. Julie Anderson running as a nonpartisan, Steve Hobbs running as a Democrat. And you weigh, the way you saw the vote uh, play out here, and it's very, very close, actually. It's just about two percentage points between them, but uh, or three percentage points between them. But you look at the write-in candidate portion of this, which isn't always that big of a number. It's close to 4% in this race here. And so the Republicans were pushing for Brad Clippert on a pretty low-level type of campaign. He's the 8th District uh, State Representative out of the Kennewick area. MAGA, so they, MAGA Republican. You better believe denier, it. Fraud, <laughs> you better believe it. Fraud claimer. That's what I'm pillow, saying. Pillowgate. And, and so by having Republicans push for that candidate, that was that write-in candidate. Guess what they did? They just handed this election to the Democrats, I think, at least inadvertently. And I, I think that's a, an important part of this backstory. And does it matter? Right. I think it does matter uh, who is Secretary of State. And I think this has become – it used to be like this quiet job that moderate Republicans have done in the state for the last 40, 50 years. You never thought about them too much. Mm-hmm. But because Secretary of States have been and maybe will continue to be challenged uh, for how they do their job, you definitely want somebody who has the skills to do the job there. I would say because Steve Hobbs, uh, a very moderate Repub- uh, Democrat, sorry. I should uh, point out that the, Demo- the incumbent is a Democrat because the Republican, Kim Wyman, left to right. go to the Biden administration. Hobbs That's was appointed right. to the job he last year. He was appointed yeah. and yeah. now he's running for it. No. And Steve Hobbs is known as a very, very moderate Democrat. And uh, Julie Anderson ran as an independent. And so to me, this this race came down to profile and you know, we need a skilled secretary of state who makes it seem like they're not working as hard as they are. In other words, we don't need to hear about them too much. Just do the work, get it done. And so Steve Hobbs has been doing the job for that short period of time since Kim Wyman left. Uh, Julie Anderson, I have always uh, liked secretary of states. Many, most of them have come from being either election directors in counties or or you know, sometimes an auditor. Right. But always that kind of profile where they know how to do elections. That's what we need. Yeah. So so okay. we would have gotten it either way is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, in this case. Uh-huh. Yeah. In this case. All right. In, David, in Seattle, there was a ballot measure to change the way we vote. So instead of just voting for one candidate, we could do it differently. What in the world have we learned? <laughs> Can I start with you, David, on this? What did we learn uh, from that voting result? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, a really interesting one. So, I mean, so far, I think it's like 2,000 vote margins in favor of no to both of these things. 100%. And so, so the real question is, you know, if the question going into it was, has Seattle ever met a voting reform measure it doesn't like? Mm. The answer may be no, because we love, uh, you know, top two primaries. We love democracy, uh, democracy vouchers. vouchers yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. we love changing things up. And it could be in this instance that voters actually say, no, they don't want to make any of these changes. I suspect that that's actually probably not what's going on here, simply because... Not only did the Seattle Times say vote no, but the stranger yeah. of all places that said is... vote no uh, because they, I think, were holding out for uh, a statewide ranked choice voting measure. This is one of the two options we have, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, so I think ultimately maybe we end up with some version of ranked choice voting either now or sometime in the future. But maybe for now, you know, it w- yeah. it'll be no to both. Well, what I agree with you. We We love reform too much without even thinking about – what is going to be the long-term impact of this? For example, is King County, you know, stretched thin on uh, counting votes? 
in general, is King County going to be able to do ranked choice voting if that's what happens? Because they have to retool the machines? They have to redo a lot of stuff. And at a time when elections are under fire, why would we do this? What is the problem we're trying to solve here? And I I was really, frankly, glad to see the voters were leaning by – by not much. No. Like, you know, people would, I heard people talking about this and they'd say, I don't get this. And if you yeah. read, read it or if you read it aloud, you go, huh? I have to say yes or no. But even if I say no, I still have to hang in here and pick one of these things that I don't even understand how it works or how they're going to count it. Yeah. I just thought it was like, I, I think a lot of people just threw their hands up and said, get out of here. No. I think the overall idea and ranked choice voting at least emerged as the favorite for people with that 1A, 1B portion of this by more than 70% of the vote. So approval voting, which was the first measure that was going to be on the ballot. Then you remember late in the game, the Seattle City Council said, we're going to uh, pave the way for approval voting. Or, Again, excuse me, br- ranked brief, choice brief voting. Brief pause for too. listeners. Please. Ranked choice voting is, means you would get to rank multiple candidates in order of your how much you prefer right. them. Top yep. five. Yep. Top five. Thank you. Approval That's voting, which is the other option, means you can just fill in a bubble for every candidate you favor. That's right. That's right. And just, just thank you for that, that back step there. And I guess just in looking at how this all played out, uh, this was a situation where it's very close in terms of that vote here, but also this was a vote that was not close in San Juan County and Clark County because those jurisdictions voted on approval voting too, and they resoundingly defeated it. So I, I, I hear what you're saying, Joni. I don't think people are necessarily ready for it, but there are 50-plus jurisdictions that do this around the country. The idea is to try to take the political party's power out you're of these different elections. You're talking about ranked choice there, I am. 50. I am. I because am. the other one, the approval voting is like in North Dakota and St. Louis. Yeah, two, two which I say, Fargo. Yeah. What? Why? Why do we want to be like them? I, Don't we lead the way in you know uh, sturdy elections well, and, so what, and good voting and good government and all this stuff? Why do we want to be like them? Explain it. As the as the neutral political reporter here, I, you know what they say, right? The approval voting folks say, and so do the ranked choice voting folks mm-hmm. say, is that this is going to increase overall voter sa- satisfaction. And they point to a political science study that I read that actually showed that it was the second most. Um, uh, satisfying way of voting. The idea being, you know, you 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 end up being more likely to, have in some fashion, voted for the candidate who ends up winning, even if what if even if it wasn't your first choice. And you get to give more information about what you're thinking. Yeah, that's, that's right. Feel good. That's mm-hmm. right. It's got to feel good. But it's sort of interesting, right? And I don't know if it's kind of paradoxical, but it's kind of this abstract concept of voter satisfaction, like almost Mm. a therapeutic function in terms of Mm. voting versus outcomes. And with some of these other reforms, I mean, including democracy that day, (laughs) including (laughs) democracy vouchers. Have we really seen a change when it comes to the outcomes, which which is what I would think would matter most to voters? And, you know, so that's the question here, whether we get ranked choice or approval voting or we stay with the one we have right now. How how do you think, Brian, it'll it'll actually change outcomes? I, I think it may. And just a, a, a another quick backstory here, too. King County is working on this. The King County government's working on this to potentially introduce something like ranked choice voting over this next session here next year. Also, the state legislature has this local options bill where different local jurisdictions could actually change choose this that's been uh, kicked around for about the past seven years there. So it's something that's in the works right now. And I think trying to start this at the city level, Seattle being the uh, reformer. Yeah, I, I guess reformer. The mixing, laboratory. Laboratory. That, that's yeah. I was going with mixing bowl, but I like the uh-huh. laboratory a lot better. Uh, that, that idea there that Seattle can start this and then see it happen on a larger level is important. I think with regard to how it would be different, there's also this idea that it would attract new candidates, diverse candidates, different candidates that people may not have seen before. But you, in the you're saying we're not seeing that. We had 26 candidates True. that one year and 13 mayoral candidates in the last right. election. And I, after, so you after want, democracy, you want 30 or and, I, and I think, 40? no, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying democracy vouchers helped add to that diversity and this is no, potential well the number of mayoral candidates went down oh okay i i guess i was looking more closely at the council races there because those those continue to increase in terms of the amount of there are a lot and they have more money to play with that's That's for sure Yeah. yeah yeah well can we just there's one there's one thing here that we didn't mention so the folks that put forward approval voting wanted more moderate candidates theoretically that's that's how they described it and uh, the city council rushing this through in the middle of the summer when nobody was paying attention, and they did rush it through, mm-hmm. seemed to want to say, well, ranked choice gives you more progressive. And so what I what I sort of object to is this gaming of it. I don't like that. Like, oh, you're really going to go in and change the way we do the election to benefit one kind of candidate okay. or the other? Uh, can and, I ask you uh, about uh, – this is a related question. It's one of the big questions I wanted to ask you about democracy itself. 
What if so we had because Joni, I think it, I think you were the one who said it takes long enough to count the votes. Now you're going to you know ha- have the county have to redo its or the city have to redo its uh, system. It does take a long time to count votes. What are the odds that if there's so much hue and cry about that every time? Oh God, it takes so long. What if we just didn't announce the results until all the votes? were counted. Wouldn't that solve a lot of problems? Do you think that would ever happen? It's like Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta wait. Yeah. You do you do have to wait, but <laughs> yeah. I, I think what's there, the downside well, of that? I just think it's there's just more so, fun. I, there's so much pressure from different news organizations to get those results as we soon as We are the possible. news organizations. I know, I know. What if we But what would inspire us what would inspire us to know less? Then we already know but on election ask, night. But Why would we want that? Because what you, when you knew anything, it would be the results instead of the not results. In fact, how much, how much drama is there when someone who thinks they're winning turns out to be losing? I, you're talking about delayed gratification, and that is not the American way, Bill. I hate to say it. I hate <laughs> to right. say it, but I think that's a piece Well, of it. I mean, the other issue is what are Joe Kent folks uh, falsely claiming yeah, you know right. is happening down there lack of transparency you know they we, they what, don't know everything that's happening this would be just one more uh you know well there was even of, a, there was even somebody talking about we should stop counting votes at a certain time mm. that would not work for this and also joe kent and this is weird told his voters to vote late to vote as late as they could so he was while he's criticizing the, the whole system, not this specifically, urging people to make it as late and sort of questioning as possible as you count the votes late. Yeah. Can Maybe. I say something about that? Okay. Do you mind? Sure. Uh, well, what, two two funny things. Just one, uh, how's that working out for them? Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, we've got a vote by mail system that's really efficient. Uh-huh. Apparently, because I called Cowlitz County uh, this week and, and voting is down. Hmm. compared to the last midterm election in an election that there's a lot of interest in. And Cowlitz yeah. County is the most Republican county, I believe, in the third uh, congressional district. It's down often in King Lewis, County, too. Often Lewis yeah. uh, is uh, and, more conservative. But guess what? Tons of people showed up uh, election week demanding replacement ballots. You know, right. and, and the auditor and all of her staff, skilled staff, had to spend all of election day replacing ballots and not counting ballots. So one of the reasons why voting was delayed this year that's may have been MAGA candidates saying, show up on election day, ask that's for why who, who your, to avoid who your county auditor is and who your secretary of state is is so important. It matters. Because yeah. people are really messing with their heads. Yeah. Okay, what, one more thing on that. If you didn't know who was winning, quote unquote winning, which is a, which is a mirage. No one is w- pulling ahead or n- falling behind. It's all just counting. If you didn't know, then you couldn't, e- you wouldn't even know whether you should be contesting this election because you might be winning the election. You'd be peeing on the election that is about to put you in office. Right. What if we well, just you, waited? Yeah. You said, why is everybody so quiet? Because the races are so close. <laughs> yeah. They're going, I don't want to you know, challenge it if I'm going to win it. You yeah. can, you can, you could run a ballot initiative. I don't know if you could stay at Hey, KUW, yeah. if you're going to do that, but uh, go that for would it. be my last. That, Your last that, act. I would fund my retirement by. Didn't Tim Iman used to make money doing things like there that? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. He's, he's losing say, that money. Yeah, right yeah. Now. Don't say <laughs> his name too often. He yeah. usually shows up. Yeah. 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 Just leave the right. chairs where they are. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, good. Point. Lock them down. Yeah. Uh, okay, we're we're getting toward the the smaller, but yet I think very interesting things. Uh, I, I I've heard a lot about uh, abortion being determinative, which I have no doubt about. Uh, we've talked about young voters. I haven't heard a big narrative of climate change being a big deal. But when we say young voters, because we've already said that the pollsters are so wrong, they don't know what they're talking about. So but yet when we hear. But yeah, but then we confidently say, oh, it was about this or about that. Um, If it's young voters, was does it did anyone think that uh, these young voters uh, are a wave uh, that don't trust Republicans when it comes to the world they're going to still be alive in uh, burning down? Could yeah, it, it didn't. It didn't, you know, register as a big, big issue like abortion. But I think it's built in, like you're suggesting. Yeah, okay. I do think that's very much part they're, of their lives. They're mostly Democrats, yeah. and and that that clearly is a difference between the parties. Maybe yeah. maybe gun control being another issue there that's important to young people. Yes. That that's certainly something I'm thinking about. I'm glad you brought that up, gun control, because we haven't discussed yet how the Washington State Legislature is 
there was also no red waves in, in, for our state legislature. In fact, it looks Might have like been a blue blip. Blue, the yeah. Democrats are going to gain some seats. Gain <laughs> some blip. seats yeah. in the majority is a blue blue blip. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> my question is again, I always want to go to that. How do how does the listener? What does the listener care about that? What are they going to notice if the dem, the, the state legislature is slightly bluer? What will change in their lives? I feel like they might be more emboldened to really work towards that state constitutional amendment uh, enshrining abortion rights. I think that would be a big, big uh, message out of this election. I think maybe they were waiting for some of these results, possibly. So that's something I'd definitely be keeping an eye on. I I think you could see more on housing and homelessness, as the governor's been talking about, um, more spending on that. And I definitely think this could be the year, this upcoming year, uh, for an assault weapons ban. We Mm. we have Mm. done some gun control here by legislation, more by initiative. Uh, But I could see that making it the year to do that because you have some of those uh, Democrats in purple districts who won't vote for it. But if you you pad the the totals, Mm -hmm. you can see it happening. How frustrated are you if you are a... A Washington State Republican. Mm. <laughs> you know, you have, you, you must just feel like you've got no voice. You're thinking about how can I join the eastern Oregon counties who are going to join Idaho? I guess. Yeah. And, and I mean, you talk about gaining some of these seats in the state house and the state senate there. That's been happening since 2016. So this is something that's been steadily going on over the past several cycles here. And it just happened again in the midterms here in 2022. It's nothing new. I mean, you know, when Rob McKenna, Republican Rob McKenna ran against Jay Inslee, right. I can't remember. Somebody said, maybe we should just all move to Texas when mm. he lost to Jay Inslee back then, because implying that like, McKenna, who, who comes across as moderate for Republican, yes. uh, and as a member of what is the mainstream Republicans of Washington, you know that was their best shot, kind of thing was how mm-hmm. they felt. And since then, who have we had? You know, Lauren Culp. Last uh, yeah, time, yeah, yeah. you know, we'll see. But, um, but, but uh, anyway, yeah. Well, first of all, Rob McKenna would not like Texas politics the way they are. I mean, he's made no. it very yeah. clear. But I think the message, anyway, to the Republican Party uh, as it goes forward is run different candidates, Mm. really hold candidate school if you have to, you know, make it so people understand that this is a blue state, but it's also a sort of like, you know, eat your peas sensible place. You know, if you offered a compelling enough Republican candidate uh, who, who, you know, was not anti-choice and sort of just more moderate, not into MAGA, not into challenging elections, they'd have a chance. The voters aren't that, they're not, you know, I mean, Western Washington is, but the whole state collectively, I can see the state electing Republicans if they're moderate. I guess the push there being Lauren Culp really pushed himself into that role. He is not who the state Republicans wanted in that uh, for that candidate uh, uh, two years ago. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's a piece of this, too. I mean, finding the candidates is great. But when we talk about MAGA fever and whatever you want to call it, I think a lot of people uh, supported him. He had those big rallies, et cetera. And that's that's who the candidate ended up being. This is kind of former uh, Republican Party chair Chris Vance's message, too. Yes. Uh, he actually ran this time as an independent. He's got this idea that he that the Republican brand has been so badly tarnished by Trump that they've got to branch out on their own. And he didn't he didn't do well, I don't think, in that race. Is no, that he was right? proven right overall, but lost his own. Yeah. Campaign. Yeah. Right? yeah, that's fair. Okay. You know, Chris was running in some ways to prove that, you know, a moderate independent could actually win against, a very, you know, right wing Phil Fortunato down there. Um in the Auburn area, I think. And, and you know, Chris has a big name. I mean, people know him from being the Washington State uh, Republican Party chair for a mm-hmm. number of years. They know him for from um, being in the legislature for a long time. And so and he's run a lot. He's run for Congress a couple times. Uh, so I don't know that the message would actually be um, true. No. If he won, because he, he has a name familiarity like crazy. Okay, we're going. We're about to take a break. So the advice to Republicans is candidate school. I like <laughs> that school. School of Rock the vote. School of something. Well, I'm working on that. Okay. okay. The uh, before we take a break, will will local and state Democrats? You said maybe there's a constitutional amendment regarding abortion. Because I was wondering, in in states like Michigan where there, where abortion was on the ballot. The Democrats swept lots of races. I was wondering why Democrats didn't and won't always mm. push some kind of referendum on, you know, 
privacy, doctor privacy, constitutional amendment, just get abortion onto the ballot. Was that is that about to happen? And I don't well, know why it, it didn't already. I could see where they would do it. They didn't have time uh-huh. uh, from June 24th, the Supreme Court ruling. Okay. The initiatives were due like in eight days. You cannot even get a ballot title in that time to oh. get it there. Got it. Yeah, I, I think there was enough concern about how these different uh, congressional races would go that maybe there was a little bit of a pumping of the brakes there. Mm-hmm. But I, I would certainly uh, see something from our state, dele- uh, state delegates here over the next couple months. Okay, I still after we after we come back from a break, I want to ask you what is cynical, and maybe if we have time, we've been so local as is our mission, our our brief on this show. But I'm still kind of curious what you think about. Trump's announcement on Tuesday and Warnock and Walker. I don't know if we'll get to that or not. Let's find out. Take a short break. Right back with Week in Review. This is KUOW's Week in Review. I'm your host, Bill Radke. We have KUOW's David Hyde, political analyst Joni Balter, Seattle Channel's Brian Callanan. We're covering the big election results this week. And I want to know now, nationally, the MAGA and locally, generally, the MAGA Republicans, um, here, here was the big ploy. The, the Democratic Party boosted some MAGA Republicans, right, tried to get them onto the ballot uh, so that they could uh, run against extremists. And nationally, it worked every time for the Democrats. It was very controversial. It was, it was called cynical. That's a cynical thing to do, to be amplifying these MAGA candidates. If it worked, is it still cynical? I think it's very cynical. I don't like it. Uh, one of the best examples of it is in Pennsylvania, where Josh Pirro, who's about to be the new Democratic governor of Pennsylvania, uh, put money in it during the uh, primary to get the the very, very, very MAGA Doug Mastriano to be the candidate. And then he beat him handily. So it worked. But I don't I don't like it as a strategy. I think but there's a different. Is it is it cynical or is it just risky? What if you if you let's say you genuinely idealistically heartfeltedly think that this is going to put Democrats in office What's cynical about that? It just sounds risky. I, it feels like an ends justify the means kind of question to me, and I, I, I don't. Is know. it tricky? Is it manipulate? Is it is it lying? Is that the, politics? It feels dishonest. It's politics. Come on, it's dishonest. to win him. It. Yeah, he's right. not for for Mastriano. You know, in case it goes the other way. Okay, it's dishonest. Yeah, I mean, they were hoping Joe Kent would be the nominee in the third. I'm sure. You know, here in yep. Washington, and they might they might actually pick up a seat as a result of it. Um, so it was obvious, obviously effective. I would say the other thing is what it did is it put Trumpism, it put MAGA on the ballot, it put conspiracy theories and extremism on the ballot. This was a referendum election in many ways on that stuff. And maybe that was a good thing for the country. Yeah, try to put it behind us somehow. That's that's a great point. That is a great point. Okay, we're steering toward the end of our hour together. Um, I'll just make a little, just some little notes. You can toss in a sentence if you want. I haven't seen a school, parks, transportation, or emergency services levy that has failed. Maybe some are close. Maybe some will fail. But but you know, if tr- trust in government apparently is, is is doesn't seem to be dead. Thurston County needs some help with its uh, fire department. But keep oh, going, Bill. Wow. Yeah, yeah just that throw it is out amazing. There. It's out there. That's impressive. There. Yep. That you mm. knew that reference. The rest of the state is like Canada, but not. The yeah. Right. <laughs> Watch out. Uh, Tuckwilla voters raised the city's minimum wage to nineteen dollars to to match C uh, tax. Um, I have a non-local election question. I just want just breathless speculation. I want to know, do you think Donald Trump is going to announce his presidential candidacy on Tuesday? And if so, what are you, well, either way, what do you expect in the Warnock um, runoff, right. uh, Walker runoff that could tip the Senate one way or the other? It, it seems like there's a lot of pressure for Trump to wait until that uh, runoff election. Right. Wait until the results are, are known. Will yeah. he? I, I, I don't know. I, it just doesn't seem like he's in a great space right now in terms of, you know, <laughs> burgeoning support behind him. So yeah. I, I, I guess waiting would be one way to play it. Well, he's not known for his self-restraint, perhaps. Mm, okay. And so uh, I think he probably will announce. And I think it, it hurts um, Herschel Walker. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, the Democrats would be cheering for Trump to go, you know, spend the rest of the month in, in Georgia. Yeah. Right. Because that third party candidate in that Warnock Herschel Herschel Walker race, I mean, it, 
I, I would think that they would start leaning their way towards Warnock, but I, I don't have a, a great uh, feel for that. But it's such a tight race. It's that it's that third party. Take that out. And where do those votes go? I, I think that's what you have to try to add up now. Okay. Do you care, David? No, I'm just agreeing. I'm just nodding with all that. (laughs) Nodding on the radio. Yeah, love it. Um, (laughs) Okay, I I have Baroque theories about Trump and DeSantis and all that and why Trump is going to announce his candidacy, but I think he will. Um, But that means nothing. Let's talk (laughs) about something that means something, which is a smile at the end of every week, every show. Um, What what happened this week that made you smile? Who wants to begin? Uh, I'll throw one out there. Yes. Uh, I just wanted to give a shout out, and I was smiling uh, with regard to a new system, the Native and Strong Crisis Lifeline. It's part of the 988 call system. Right. Just went into effect yesterday. It's something that uh, is run by and is for Native American people in our community that are dealing with crisis. That's an ethnicity that has some of the highest suicide rates of any uh, in our country. And uh, I was smiling at that. And way to go, Rochelle Williams. Great, great program involved there. Very good. Um, The airwaves are a little clearer. The TV ads have gone away. Oh, I w- yeah. wanted to give you time because yours is better. Oh, no, no. Just uh, the <laughs> satirical attacks on Elon Musk, new owner of Twitter, <laughs> yeah. are just making me smile one after the other. Some of which I was just looking at and I can't I'm not I'm not going to say them on the radio. But here <laughs> here one that purports to be the Washington State Department of Natural Resources. And oh, of they're course, funny. Part yeah, of the thing is I'm not funny. even sure if this is them or not now, which is the whole point. This one says update the Twitter wildfire is at 44 billion acres and zero percent contained. <laughs> wow. Mm. Do you know I was using the their that Twitter feed because it's so good. It's so, so funny as yeah. an example of how to do it. How to do it Twitter right. Feed There's some class. smart people on that one that with DNR. Really yeah, yeah, yeah. Listeners, <laughs> if you don't know what's going on with Twitter, which Elon Musk now owns, people are are, are fake. It has to do with his verification, selling verification. So people are are posting uh, as if they're people who they're not, and some of it's hilarious. Thanks, Bill. Uh, uh, you're welcome. Uh, Giuliani is some of that stuff is non-pareil. Um, and I will just say I'm smiling because the late Paul Allen's art collection sold for a billion and a half dollars. Mm. I picked up a Cezanne myself. Why not? I plan to throw not? soup on, so I feel good about that. <laughs> yeah. And pretty soon his estate's going to sell the Seahawks. So wow. that's going to be interesting. Wow. I assume Russell Wilson buys it, but I don't know. Oh, boy. Second act for you, Bill. Right yeah. there. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, we got to go. We got like 10 seconds left. It's just time to say thank you so much. Fascinating week. Uh, fascinating conversation. And thanks for being uh, Week in Review this week, everybody. Thanks, thank Bill. you. Thanks, Bill. That's Joni Balter, political analyst, contributing columnist, Seattle Channel host and producer Brian Callanan, KUOW politics reporter David Hyde. And the show's produced by Kevin Kinestet. We get social media and live streaming help from Juan Pablo Chiquiza and Tio Popescu. And uh, it sounds as good as it does because of Bernard Wallet on the board. And we'll see you again in a week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.